Well, this is a pleasant sight. It's good to see some faces again. I'm telling you, talking to a camera makes me feel like a TV preacher and something I don't think I ever see in my future. So that's definitely, I, no, not the hair, not the hair, nor suit either. I, I'm sorry if I ruined your expectations. Show up again. Eric could be in a four-piece suit. Uh, no, not going to happen. So, hey, I want to do this. I just want to say where prayer and praise together today, and as well as we pray for those who are at home still worshiping with us, and just continue just thanking God for what He's doing through the season. Would you just pray with me, Father God? Thank you so much. God, it's such a joy to see faces again. Uh, God, it's been a long time since March 15th, uh, but it's so good to see church family. It's so good to worship again, and this is still a challenging season, and God, I'm grateful that you are still present in the midst of this. <clears throat> God, I pray for those that are home right now worshiping us. God, I pray they know they're still loved and that we miss them and look forward to being united with them again. God, bring our church together and just teach us to love and care and be compassionate, but most of all, to be the church in any circumstances. God, you are not hindered by anything. So God, I praise you for being faithful and just in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all. It's good to have you guys. Good to have the kids in here. I'm going to tell you right now, if you guys make some noise, it's okay. I'm going to take that as an amen, even if it's an awkward position for an amen in a sermon. That's more than I sometimes ever get, so it's okay. Uh, I'll take it. Generally, people drop amens at wrong places, like Debbie, whenever I say something bad about myself or whatever, or, or Dale over here. So... Hey, glad you guys are here. Don't worry. If your parents tell you, hey, you need to be quiet, say, Pastor Eric said I can be as loud as I want, and he trumps you in this setting. So that's just how it goes, right? Um, with that being said, as I just ruined any rapport I had, um, we're finishing up kind of the next couple weeks our, our account in Gideon. We've been going through one of my, my favorite characters. And next week, I hope you will really see why he is my favorite character. But I love today's message as well as we kind of talk about it. So if you have your Bibles, we will be here in just a minute in Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7 is where we will continue on. As you're turning there, I like again, I love having group discussion. And so the people that you came with, you're sitting next to, I want to ask you this. Would you answer this question? You ready? Here it is. What is your favorite childhood song? What's your favorite childhood song that you remember singing as a kid? If you are a kid, what's your favorite song right now you sing? So right now, go ahead, take just a second, answer that question. What is your favorite childhood song, or what was? I don't know if you guys were able to get good discussion on that. Some of you guys still sing it all the time as adults. Some of you, some of you have to think a little farther back to remember what, the, it's okay. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, for me right now, in, in my household, uh, if you guys came last Sunday to our night of worship, uh, Holly's favorite song is Jesus Loves Me. And, and every night it is her thing, like, she has all these routines we have to go through every night to put her to bed. And so right now I have to come and sing her Jesus Loves Me. I have to scratch her arm while we do it. And, and thanks to Matt Blagg, last night she goes, can you sing it like Mr. Matt did? I said, there's called a gifting difference that your daddy doesn't have. So I'm um, not going to work like that. But we'll sing through it. If you don't know the song, we'll sing Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. And we'll give small little ones to him belong. And then I will go all macho man Randy Savage. The next minute he goes, uh... He is, oh, sorry, they are weak, goes, but he is strong, and she'll go, no, no, daddies, he is strong, I'm like, no, he is strong, you know, you got to get into it, 
And, and that's every night our thing. We sing that whole song, and, and we go to it, and she loves it. And I thought she really didn't like me doing that until the other day. She sang me the song because she's putting me to sleep, and, and uh, she did it just like I did. It's a funny, funny song, and there's so much truth to that song, isn't there? That, that in our weakness, God is strong. Like, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible, it, it tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Or as I say, yes, Jesus loves Daddy. And she'll say, no, me. Yes, Jesus loves Hadley. She'll say, no, me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. Every night we sing that, and there's so many truths to that. And it's a truth to our message today. It's a powerful message we dig in because today the truth that we need to look at through Gideon's account is we need to learn to embrace our weaknesses rather than run from them. Let me say it again. We need to come to a place of truth where we embrace our weaknesses rather than run and hide from them. And we're going to look at that in the account of Gideon today. So last week where we left off Gideon is he was, God was redefining his confidence He's redefining his understanding of who he, ha- who he is in God and what he needs. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to read Judges 7, verse 15 through 25. And yes, I'm going to butcher some words in here, so bear with me, okay? Unless you're a Hebrew scholar, I don't want to hear it. If you are, sorry, okay? So, verse 15 through 25. It said, when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to Israel's camp and said, Get up, for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp over to you. Then he divided the 300 men he had into three companies and gave each of the men a trumpet in one hand and an empty pitcher with a torch inside it on the other. He says, Watch me, he said, and do what I do. You see, when I come to the outpost of the camp, do as I do. When I and everyone with me blow our trumpets, you are also to blow your trumpets all around the camp. Then you will say, For the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 19, that Gideon and a hundred men who were with him went out to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch after the sentries had been stationed. They blew their trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and shattered their pitchers. They held the torches in their left hand and their trumpets in their right hand and shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each Israelite took his position around the camp of the entire Midianite army and began to run, and they cried out as they fled. When the Gideon's army uh, men blew their 300 uh, trumpets, the Lord caused the men and the whole army to turn on each other with their swords. Imagine the sight to be seen right there. It says, they fled to the Acacia house in the direction of Zerara, as far as the border of Elamohola, near Tabath. I'm nailing it. Then the man, uh, men from Israel were called from Nephtali, Asher, and Manasseh, and they pursued the Midianites. Verse 24 says, Gideon sent messengers throughout the whole country of Ephraim with his message. Now, these are the men that obviously had went back home when he said, hey, if you're scared, go home. And they went back. And he says, listen, come down to intercept the Midianites. Take control of the water courses ahead of them as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took control of the water courses as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. They captured Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb while they were pursuing the Midianites. They brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. What an interesting account to me. And there's something else we will wrap up next week as we really unpack how I believe Gideon's story is a storybook ending. It's a book tale of what's going on that I think is a beautiful picture that I love because it's a story of redemption. But what's interesting to me is, like I said, our big idea is embracing our weaknesses. 
When, when you see the situation going on, I want to say real quick, we want to look at what was the battle plan that they had. See, Gideon comes and they put together this battle plan. They have three companies, probably about 100 soldiers each, and they surround the Midianites. We know from the location that the Midianites are kind of in a valley, and so they're able to surround them uphill from them all. And so they get there, and he puts them in places, and he gives each of them an empty jar with torches on top. This was used to cover up the light so they would not see them walking up to their position. They also gave them horns and trumpets and jars that they would smash. Now imagine the situation. They have these jars, and when he says, now it's time, 300 jars all surrounding your camp suddenly get smashed, and you hear this loud racket of noise that would wake you up at sleep. Don't forget, just before, Gideon sneaks into the Midianites' army, and what happens? He's telling them, he says, hey, they're like, listen, I had this horrible dream about this barley bread, or ramen noodles, if you're me. Ramen noodles come rolling down the hill and attacked us, and it has to be Gideon. It has to be this God that they're talking about over there. They had this dream, and imagine in the middle of the night being woken up to these breaking of the pots, and they come out, and they see these torches up being lit, and suddenly the sounds of 300 trumpets being blown. Now, now understand real quick, the IVP uh, background commentary says usually only a few of the soldiers carry trumpets for signaling because their hands were needed for weapons and shields. And so 300 soldiers blowing this trumpet would give them misperception that they are surrounded by a much larger army than it really was. It's a crazy situation. And not only that, they come at an interesting time. It says they came at the beginning of the middle watch. During this time, they'd have three different watches. You'd have one from 6 to 10 p.m. Then they would shift soldiers to watch from 10 to 2 a.m., which is the middle watch. And then the last one would be from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And so you have this soldier, this position, this outpost change going on. A third would be returning. A third would be uh, going out to their place. And a third would be sleeping. Imagine right at this time as they're happening, they're going, they walk down, and suddenly you hear this thing, and it's people are waking up from their stupor, their sleep, they see guys coming in, they think they're the enemy soldiers, but in reality, they're their own guys, and they start friendly fire attacking their own people. I don't know if you've ever done that, have you ever woke up in the middle of the night and just an absolute deep sleep on something and thought you saw something that you really didn't? You ever done that before? When me and Emily lived in uh, Chickasha, we had a fire alarm, but before we had kids, our fire alarm went off in our house like at 2 in the morning. I woke up, I was so tired, and I said, Emily, our house is on fire, I see smoke everywhere, get out, get out. And she's like, no. I said, no, Emily, get up, the house is on fire, let's go, get out. She says, Eric, the house is not on fire. I said, no, I can see it everywhere. She goes, open your eyes. I had my eyes closed the whole time. And when I opened them up, there's still fog, and I thought I was seeing smoke. It was really nothing. We just had a dead battery that was going off in our house. You ever, no? Okay, I'm glad I'm, this would be a good time for an amen, kids. Um, so, sometimes we wake up, and they're walking out, and they're thinking they're seeing this, and this is not what's going on. Now, now you hear this plan, you say, man, what a brilliant plan. Can I say, this is an absurd battle plan. Let me say again, this is an absurd battle plan. They literally walk to the fight with no weapons in their hands to fight. Imagine that for a second. That they walk up, this is an absurd plan. What makes it a brilliant plan is the fact that it worked. It's a horrible plan, but it's a great plan because it's worked. In high school, my coach used to say it all the time, and we would take really horrible, you know, those trick, ugly shots, whatever, half-court heaves. My coach says, those are bad shots, but if they go in, it's a good shot. That's the only exception with it. You watch NBA games, you watch players make these ridiculous shots. Listen, if they miss it, they look like fools, don't they? Like, what were they doing? But when it goes in, like, man, that is just an amazing player right there, right? It's the difference between a good plan and a bad plan. This is a good plan because it ultimately worked. Reality, this is an absurd plan. This is going into battle saying, we're going to put all our eggs in this, and if this doesn't work, we're in a lot of trouble. 
the, the best way I can think of it, because I love thinking in the context of cartoons, is one of my favorite called Kung Fu Panda. You ever seen that? Kung Fu Panda, they put all their stock on this guy, the dragon warrior named Poe. And Poe is this overweight, not really athletic, not really kung fu-minded panda. Okay? To give you an idea, here's a video clip to show you exactly who it is in case you've missed out. Go ahead and show that. Never. Wrong one. Other one. Never. Other one. Finally. What's that one? (laughs) The power of the dragon scroll is mine. Not working. It's nothing. Uh, oh. It's okay. I didn't get it the first time either. All right, well, you guys are still seeing <laughs> who he is. There is no secret ingredient. The other one. It's just you. <laughs> yes, the, the other one. <laughs> Never. Nope. Never. One. Okay. There he is, right there. Stairs. Uh, uh, who are you, buddy? I am the Dragon Warrior. Uh, you? <laughs> Him? He's a panda. You're a panda. What are you going to do, big guy? Sit on me? <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> now, nah, I'm going to use this. <laughs> you want it? Come get it. Oh! Oh, finally. <laughs> Uh, actually, I think they did have it right the first time, so sorry about that, guys. I messed that up. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, imagine that's your game plan. That's who you're putting in all your eggs in your basket, like, hoping we're going to win this battle with this guy. This is, this is about what it's like for Gideon and the army. They put all their eggs in this 300 people and, and this whole plan. It's an absurd battle plan. Now, now, here's the interesting part for me, and this is where it kind of ties back in. Where did this plan come from? There's nowhere in Scripture where it talks about God telling Gideon, this is how I want you to do it. Most scholars I read actually say they believe that Gideon actually came up with this plan himself, which is so interesting to me because when you begin to unpack that, that God never really seems to give Gideon this plan. It all comes because of what God did just before. Because God reduced his army force, it forced Gideon to come up with a whole new plan. He, he originally had like a four-to-one ratio in battle, thinking, you know what, maybe we can use modern warfare techniques and actually win this, when in reality, when God strips his army down to where he's outnumbered 450 to one, there is no way modern warfare techniques would have worked, and it caused Gideon to say, you know what, we're going to have to look at this in a different way, because we can't go the way we've always done this. It's not going to work. And he comes up with this radical, and don't forget, insane new idea. Understand this, here's my point, is, is Gideon's weakness in the situation actually became his strength. Yeah, I love what one person said. He said, often in weakness, God can reorganize your whole life for the better. Often in your weakness, God can reorganize your life for the better. And so it's kind of like the story in episode of Kung Fu Panda, if you saw that. And sorry again, guys. Uh, the second clip we have is we see how Poe was actually the perfect guy, if you remember the end of the movie. Go ahead and play that part. Finally. Oh, yes. <laughs> the power of the dragon scroll is mine. It's nothing. Oh, 
It's okay. I didn't get it the first time either. <coughs> what? There is no secret ingredient. It's just you. I love that scene because his weakness, everyone thought, was actually his strength that allows him to win this battle that no one thought he could do. When you think of Gideon, listen, we need to come in the same place. We need to learn to embrace our weaknesses. And you say, why? Well, the first thing I want to say is this. Listen, in, in our weaknesses, in my weakness, God is visible. When I'm weakest, when it looks like I'm so incapable, God becomes the most visible and prevalent in the situation. Why is Gideon's story so memorable? Why is it so amazing? Because in the situation, Gideon is inept. He is the least likely character to be able to win this battle. He is from a nobody family or anything, yet suddenly he wins this battle that is beyond his control. And when you read through the passage we just read, every time you see whose name comes up, the Lord and Gideon. Hey, the Lord and Gideon. Scream the Lord and Gideon. God is present. God, listen, God is the hero in the story, not Gideon. When our weaknesses shine through in our worst possible situations, God is the hero, not us. Now, let me ask you to reflect on this. How visible is God in your weaknesses? My, my, my time when God has shined through the most is when I have made myself look like the biggest fool. When I've come and said, listen, here's my sin, my shame, the worst thing I've done. Look how awful I am. God has redeemed me from this situation. Listen, there's no way for me to be the hero in that story. God is the one, and God has used that story to change people's lives. It's not me. It's God. When we embrace our weaknesses, it's so tempting for me to go, listen, I don't want to talk about my past. I don't want to talk about my weaknesses. I want to act like it didn't exist. But when I don't talk about it, God no longer becomes the hero of my story. And so I embrace my weaknesses. Why? So God become more visible in my life. Like, this is not me. This is God doing it. Can I tell you the inverse is true as well? When we don't embrace our weaknesses, what happens? God suddenly becomes absent in the situation. He becomes apparently invisible. Not because he is or can be taken away any of his strength or ability, but simply because we elevate ourselves to a point that we eliminate God from the story. Don't believe me? Look at chapter 8, verse 22. As you kind of read the end. After they defeated everyone, it says the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and all your sons and your grandsons, and for you delivered us from the power of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Man, thank goodness for Gideon for a split second does something right there, right? But how quickly he forgets. Then he said to them, let me make a request of you. Everyone give me an earring from his plunder. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, we agreed to give them. So they spread out a cloak and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. The weight of gold earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold. In addition to the crescent ornaments and the ear pennants, the purple garments on the king's midian and the chains on the necks of the camels. And so what does Gideon do? Gideon made an ephod from all his plunder and put it in Orpha, which is his hometown. An ephod was a breastplate that priests would wear in the temples, but even more so, sometimes it would become an ornament that would showcase of what they've done. The ephod is what here? The ephod is a trophy. Gideon makes himself a trophy so everyone can remember. And what happens next is then all of the Israelites prostitute on themselves by worshiping it, the ephod there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his household. Can I tell you something? In our strength, when we embrace our strength and talk about what we've done, God suddenly becomes invisible. 
We, we, we dictate the story and we become the hero of our story. God is missing in this section. The Lord is not there anymore. J.D. Greer once said, I love, and I quote him a lot, I know, but he said, the greatest danger you will ever face is getting out of a posture of weakness. When you come to a place and rely on your strength and talk about how great you are or what you've done, look at my giftedness. Suddenly, we no longer need the Lord, and he's not the hero anymore. Every time I've fallen back into sin and shame, it's because my pride came into this situation, and I want to be the hero of my story. Yeah, my past, well, it's really because of the stuff I put in place. It's really the stuff I did that I dug myself out, and God gets stripped of what's going on because we want to place ourselves back on the pedestal. We forget that God is the hero of our story, and our work and our effort becomes a hero. Well, let me ask you this. Who, who is the hero of your story? In your life, who is your hero? Well, maybe here's a different question. What is your ephod? What is your trophy? I mean, look at, look at my giftedness. Look at, how, look how talented I am. Look how great I sing. Jesus loves me better than the other guy. Look at me. What is your trophy that suddenly is your snare to you and your family? We need to come to a place and embrace our weaknesses. We can't stop telling the story of my sin, my shame. Why? Because God is the redeemer and the hero of my story. Can, can I tell you my biggest fear for myself and our church? I'm just being transparent right now. My biggest fear for us is that we become something. We become something someday. Our church becomes something amazing that people actually want to come to, and we become known, and other churches are calling us to ask, how did we do it? I become a great pastor, and people call me, and pastors are calling me for advice. Hey, Eric, how did you do it? You know why that scares me? Warren Wearsby hits it best. He says this. He says, when the church starts to depend on bigness, big buildings, big crowds, big budgets, then faith becomes misplaced, and God can't give his blessings. You see, when leaders depend on their education, skill, and experience rather than a God, then God abandons them and looks for a Gideon. My, my prayer for myself and us is that we remain nothing so that God can be everything. I, I pray when people see our church, they want to talk about, man, how awesome is Northampton? Like, man, how awesome is God? Because that church could not do it on their own. I've seen that, Pastor, I'll tell you right now. Couldn't do it. God is the hero of our story. My, my last question to reflect on is this, is what weakness have you been hiding from? Like that you could give to the Lord and allow him to become the hero of. What weakness are you afraid to tell people? If they knew this side of my past that God has redeemed, they would never look at me the same again. Listen, and then you're, you're trying to be the hero, not God. And so maybe you today, you, today you need to make God your hero today. Maybe that's the decision you make. You haven't embraced your weakness. Today's the day to embrace your weakness and come say, God, I give it to you. Be the hero of my story. I don't care who sees me. I don't care what people talk about me. I don't care what they think. God, you are going to be glorified and people are going to know who you are by my weakness, not my strength. I I'm just a prop in your play. Listen, if that's you, if God's leading in your heart and stirring, you need to do something about it. Listen, our elders are going to be right over here, and we have a place that you can come over here, and they're going to come pray with you, and they'll lead you and talk to whoever you need to do. We, we want to walk you through it. Some of you, this means salvation. You need to come a place in your life where you come say, God, I give you my life. You, you, it's yours. 
Bible tells us if you ask Jesus Christ, you beg him, say, God, listen, I know I can't do it myself. I need you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. The Bible tells us if you do that and come and confess your need for Christ, you will be saved. But until that point, you will always be the hero. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you, at any point, as, as Matt plays, you come and you respond the way you need. Maybe you are a child of God. Maybe you've said the prayer. Maybe you've done all this stuff, but yet you've tried to reclaim. You put that ephod on. So originally it meant something good, right? Originally it was for priests in the temple, but suddenly it became something that people recommended back to you. Maybe today's the day you need to come back and say, listen, God, I, I've, I've taken you off the pedestal. And you need to rededicate your life to the Lord and say, God, I give it to you. If that's you, listen, same thing. Our elders will be here. I'm going to encourage you to get up. And so while Matt plays, I'm going to ask if God's leading you to respond as you need to respond and be faithful to that. And so I'm just going to pray and just have you guys bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. And if you feel led, I'm going to ask you to get up and walk this way and come do that. Our elders will be here ready for you. You guys sit silent. I'm going to pray over you silently in my heart. Just pray that someone responds to what God is maybe stirring their heart. Because I know I can't be the only one feeling it. And and I'll, I'll pray over you in just a second. If you don't feel a tug in your heart, I'm going to ask you to pray for the people around you. Pray that someone will get saved today. Father God, you are my hero. God, I'm nothing without you. I pray our church would be nothing without you. God, strip away anything about us, our church, that doesn't have you as at the pedestal. Take away all our ephods, take away all our trophies. If it's a building, if it's a budget, if it's leadership, whatever it is that needs to be stripped down of their pride of whatever it is, God, God, do that. God, humble me, please, in areas where I know I have pride and arrogance. God, I can't hide it behind youth forever. God, I know you want so much more from me, but God, you want to do so much more through me. God, I pray that I just place you as the hero of my life. I pray our people would go be the church and understand that. I pray that today, God, that someone in this room would go share testimony with someone about their weakness so that you can shine through. God, you are good. Thank you so much that we can get together and worship you. God, thank you for those that stayed at home, God, that they felt comfortable doing that. God, I pray that we would not forget them. We are still a church. We're not divided. We're not split up. We, we are united in heart and spirit and truth. Teach us to love one another. Teach us to have empathy for one another. Teach us to be the church. God, I praise you for being holy and just in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys stay on the map.